Welcome to the Beer Before Glory podcast. I'm your host, Justin Crosley. And I'm Matt Brennelson. And we are here to talk all things beer with you as always. And uh, this week's topic, you know, Matt, they, they've all been good. And I think I probably say they're my favorite every time, but this one might actually, this is really my, my favorite topic right now. Uh, this is the one which, that will set us apart from all other podcasts. <laughs> I, think, I think you're right, because today we're talking New Zealand hops, which is, uh, I think, every brewer's favorite hop right now. Uh, I know that it, they're my favorite hops to drink. And we've got uh, a great uh, panel of guests from New Zealand, because why would we talk to anybody else about uh, New Zealand varieties of hops and New Zealand hop growing? So uh, joining us today is Brent McLashen. He's a, a hop grower in New Zealand, I believe a fifth generation grower. Is that right, Brent? Yeah, yeah, that's me. Been around the sticks for a while now, Justin. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, you know <laughs> a little he's something. Quite young. He's really quite young, actually. <laughs> uh, I think everybody in New Zealand looks young to me. You guys are so relaxed that uh, y'all age so well. It's it's amazing. Uh, uh, right next to Brent there is Dr. Ron Beetson, um, who's been working in plant and food research for fifty years in New Zealand. Welcome, Dr. Ron. Thank, thanks so much, there, Justin. It's good to have you. And then next to Dr. Ron is Lauren Yap, and she works with uh, New Zealand Hops. Uh, she's a quality and, and grower liaison over there. And uh, she worked extensively in the Pacific Northwest. So you're like a good uh, liaison between uh, our hemisphere and, and yours, right? Yep. Yep. Both worlds. Perfect. Um, well, why don't we start with the basics, you know, which is what you're drinking. We got to know what's in your glass right there, Brent. Well, this one here is uh, one that was made specially for Dr. Ron's 50th. And he looked nice. Right. He does. <laughs> and so that, that one was um, produced by a local brewery, Spring and Fern. And uh, they actually, uh, the hop that's in here is a Rewalker hop. It's a green hop. And um, yeah, it was, it was picked from our field. Tracy, the brewer, actually came out right on harvest and she said, um, Right, let's see what you got for me this year, Brent. So we walked out to the fields and I said, I, I left this crop specifically till last. And I said, right, oh, Tracy, what do you think of this one? I'm brewing with it. When am I brewing with it? And I said, well, it's going to be ready in about five days. And then uh, she said, oh, but I've got a meeting in five days. I said, yeah, you'll be meeting us on the farm to pick out these hops. And wow. uh, so, she, so, so she did, yeah. And um, yeah, that, that's what we're drinking. And um, just, yeah, we'll, just a bit as a bit of an interest that this hop, um, uh, this, this beer, sorry, is uh, Tracy Banner, the um, the brewer at Spring and Fern. She's uh, entered it into the um, NZ IPA challenge, which is going to be held in Queenstown. If you know where that is, and the you know some of you you and your you podcast people, so it's um, the, that's going to taking place in, in a week's time. So um, it should be should be a lot of fun. That'll bring yeah. together about the top twenty or thirty brewers in New Zealand, mm -hmm. um, and, and it's quite a, getting quite a recognised challenge now. So it's really neat. Yeah. Oh, well, I wish you luck. It'd be cool to have your anniversary beer rock that challenge. That'd be good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Cheers, <laughs> cheers. So I wanted us to start. I mean. Dr. Ron, so since you've been since you've been doing this for for 50 years now, I thought that maybe you could walk us through just, you know, a little bit of the history of New Zealand hops. Um, but start, of course, with, you know, what it is that you do. What is the the plant and food research uh, organization that you work with? And 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 just kind of yeah, give us a, a little bit of your background that way. And then I thought you could talk about what 
New Zealand hops were like when when you started and and where we are today. You know, just give us a little um, synopsis. Yeah, sure. I'll, I'll, I'll do my best there, Justin. Um, Plant and Food Research is a um, well, it's a government um, based company, and or the, the the shareholder, the main shareholder in in our company is the government, and um, but we have our own. Um, uh, board of directors and also have to make a turn a profit basically. So it's sort of semi-commercial if you like. So we we um pride ourselves on the fact we we work very closely with horticultural industries and also um, annual crop uh industries as well. So um <clears throat> the our site here in Motueka is right in the heart of the um hop growing area. It's one of 14 sites of plant food. We've got a thousand people working um in our organisation from uh, right up in the far north of the North Island right down to the bottom of the South Island. Uh, and we've also got offices overseas as well. We've got one, in fact, we've got one who works in Portland. Um, so um, we're sort of, a, we, we think globally, if you like. And so that's the company. And our research is, um, it's, it's often touted as a plant breeding company. And so we, we work a, a lot in, um, in the field of genetics and plant breeding across a wide range of crops, uh, one of which, of course, is hops. And uh, so some of our other major crops are apples and um, kiwi fruit, the two big ones, plus a lot of annual crops as well, um, including barley and, and uh, potatoes and other, other crops as well. So, but of course, we're here to talk about um, hops, so we better carry on with it. So uh, I... Um, I've been working since 1971 for our organisation and uh, it's had various guises during that time that have been called different names. But I've always been based here in Motueka and uh, I, I, in fact, we had a celebration of my 50 years um, last week, which is kind of nice to, for them to all recognise it. And uh, so, and the, and the, as I said, the beer was made for, for that uh, function and also for, um, for distribution uh, for the IPA challenge as well. But the, um, I've been working in, I, I got my PhD in the States and when I came back in the early 80s, I started working on hops and, um, and it was based at the site. So there's been a lot of changes. Back at that time, the crop was um, pretty much a, um, I would say, cottage industry, just coming out of cottage industry stage. So in other words, domestic consumption, uh, a little bit of exports, uh, but not, uh, it was very much in its infancy in terms of its marketing um, organisation side of it. But over the years, we um, the industry's grown. It was, I think it was around, there's only 200 hectares, uh, whatever that is in acres, 500, maybe 500 acres grown at that time. But it, um, by the um, late 90s, it was up to 400 plus hectares and um, 1,000 acres. And then since that time, of course, it's, um, it's, it's got very popular and particularly with the craft brewing industry um, involvement. And now we're sort of uh, the NZ hops are at 750 hectares. Yep. And there's other, there's two other marketing groups involved in production in New Zealand as well. But so, um, yeah, so that's the part of history of, of, of the crop. It's, um, hops were obviously not native of New Zealand. They were imported uh, along with, um, well, they came over with the early settlers, particularly Europeans and mainly from the United Kingdom. Um, so they came in in the 1800s. And um, so production started, uh, I think the first commercial crop was in 1843, from what we understand. 
And um, that was here in the Nelson province, or the, um, you know, the, where the hops are grown now. And uh, yeah, so, but back in those times, of course, all the hops were, that were grown were not locally adapted. Um, and so what we've done since then is we've basically started up a breeding program after the Second World War to look at um, ways of um, improving yields and also the quality of the product. Um, so that's where we've started off. We've crossed a lot of North American material with European material. I can go into the details of that if you want, but I don't think it's really necessary. But it's, um, so we've, we're very lucky here. We don't have any um, pest and disease issues of any consequence. And so we've been able to concentrate in our breeding program on developing unique um, cultivars with really good, what we consider really good flavors. And um, it's, it's it's still a small industry by New Zealand standards. Um, it's about 1% of the world's crop um, is produced here in New Zealand. And so um, it's, yeah, it, it's taken off. And we, we've actually decided that we wanted to, our uniqueness is in our, the, the genetics, if you like. Uh, we have a lot of material from around the world and we've uh, used our expertise to sort of develop unique cultivars by, um, we've actually doubled the chromosome number of um, some of the parents and um, used them to hybridise with normal chromosome number and hops and come up with what we call triploids, seedless triploids. So that's our sort of claim to fame, if you like. And that's really been the hallmark of, of our programme is the, is the seedless triploids. So since then, we've developed a lot of cultivars. Over 20 cultivars have been developed since the Second World War. And uh, I've been happy to say that I've been a part of Quite a few of them, so it's been it's been a great career for me. I've enjoyed every minute of it. I love coming to work, even though I'm um, <laughs> been working in science for fifty years. It's still it's still a pleasure for me to come out every day and and um, and work and work with that and meet meet with my colleagues and have a good discussion about hops and and sort of move the program forward. Yeah, you picked the right division of the uh, of the plant and and food research. You know, getting in, getting to be in beer. Um, now, I'm, and I'm glad you brought up kind of your, your uniqueness and what you've brought to the table with your, with your breeding program. And I think that's a great place to kind of start here because I was, I was curious about that. I was curious why Nelson is so popular. And I, and I assumed, I figured that, that hops weren't native. Um, and so you, you guys, it's not just your terroir, it's not just your climate, but it's the research and the work you've done in breeding like what you said that you've just taught me, uh, triploid hops, which would which would be seedless, that sort of helped guide you down the the path that New Zealand ha has been in. And just yes. to clarify, was was it um, either your predecessors or your team uh, that that actually developed that technology in hops? Had that ever been um, done in hops before? Um, yes, well, actually, it dates back to the UK. Of, you know, some of the early breeders and in hops had been from the United Kingdom and at um, White College in particular. And some of the early people um, developed um, the techniques to, to double the chromosome numbers. So my predecessors were the ones that went over there and uh, learned the techniques and brought that back to New Zealand. And whereas most other places in the world who grow hops and tried um, producing seedless triploids, um, they, they didn't really suit their particular climate or their, their particular production at that stage. But when they tried them here in New Zealand, they found that you know, there was a lot of, um, it suited our climate. We've got a pretty um, 
unique climate. It's um, temperate oceanic climate, so it never gets super hot in, in the summer and it never gets super cold in the winter, so to speak. So it's, um, and it's the right latitudes. We're about 41, 42 south of the equator, so it's about um, around about the Russian River Valley area in, in the States and um, also across to New York and, you know, right through Europe, sort of like in uh, around about Rome latitudes. So, yeah, so I guess the um, my predecessors were, I don't take credit for, for the fact that, uh, about the developing of the triploid program, um, that what, since that time, of course, we've expanded it quite um, quite a lot and um, developed a lot of new te- te- uh, or parental development um, in our program to create new triploid combinations. So, yeah, it's um, it's a work in progress. You, you never, plant breeders never never finish their um, what they do. If you if we if we breed the perfect cultivar, no one else would want to um, work in the crop again. So uh, we we can't have everything perfect. <laughs> so the other that that Ron's probably missed out too is um, part of the plant food program. Um, the predecessors, Dr. Rudy Roebrook, also bred out um, black root rot disease, which was massive. You know, you could only have your hot plants in the ground for a maximum of three years, often only two, before you had to pull them back out again and replant them. And everything was all done by hand back then. So when, when would that have been, Ron? Right? Uh, well, it was my fourth second war when, when that when the root rot was in, in its um, uh, raging, if you like. Actually, the hop they grew at that time uh, was a. Uh, a hop called um, Californian Lake Cluster, and it was a very, very well. It was very well adapted to New Zealand in terms of its um, latitudes and yields, and it was good. Um, but it was it was nicknamed Cali here, but it, it didn't have the resistance to the root rot. Whereas the English material, which is very poorly adapted, did have resistance, mm-hmm. and uh, so the the, co- the combination was to cross uh, the genetics of the two um, the two. Uh, producing areas at that time, so then North America and Europe. So a lot of that germplasm was used in our initial crossing. So, uh, But most of our program has been spawned from those um, early days. And, uh, yeah, we've, uh, as you know, you know the, the story around um, Nelson Sabin is uh, probably our most famous cultivar to date anyway. And, um, yeah, it's, it's, it, it, was, uh, it was quite unique at the time because it was, Developed before the craft brewing industry really took off, and uh, so we uh, had all these um, strange tasting selections and uh, raising glass like Matt's doing at the moment, and, and uh, tasting these things. And they're, gosh, this is this one's pretty. It's got some unique grapey notes to it, and you know, and of course, people were wondering what to do with it, and um, so it was um, it was a forerunner really, and, and it took a bit of launching to get it um, underway. But once it was underway, it was uh, people realised it was um, had some unique properties. And so when, off it went. When it was first launched, Matt and Justin um, Nelson Sobin was basically at the commodity end of the hop scale. You know, when when we were all as growers growing commodity hops, we had to produce yield and quantity for us to pay our bills. If we didn't get the yield with that, then um, then the hop Variety wasn't really a flyer, so we were one of the very first to grow Nelson Sovin. And I never forget as a kid when I walked into the shed, I walked up there and I said, Shit, Dad, what is this? Has the cat gone pissed in the corner or something like that? <laughs> what friggin' stuff? Oh, my goodness, it was bad because you know, we weren't used to that. 
And um, anyway, it's so... It's a terrible story. No, it was. Yeah. <laughs> but, but, you know, it was well and truly a hop ahead of its time, and that's, that's sort of what sort of um, the breeding um, has, has brought about here in New Zealand. So as growers, it took us a long time to get used to it. We pulled our first Nelson Sovereign out after about four or five years because we you simply can't get the yield off it, of, of what you can your commodity hops. You know, your commodity hops, we were looking down... 3,000 kilograms a hectare. Well, Nelson Solomon, you're struggling to get 16, 1800 consistently. So, you know, you're, if you're matching price on price, as a farmer, we couldn't physically afford to grow it. Um, so until it got recognised by brewers with how unique and off-the-planet weasel piss it smelled like and tasted like, um, you know, it, it worked. And But as growers, we couldn't we couldn't afford to follow that track until we knew that the, the market would follow it. So... Okay, so just take a step back, because as a brewer, I'm just so curious about the origins of these things. So you, you mentioned the Russian River Valley and that the latitude is very similar, uh, you know, to, to, to the Nelson region. And then yes. far south of now Yakima and, and, and the Willamette Valley, also far south of Hollertau and, and some of the other famous regions. So is, is it safe to say that most of those cultivars, if they were moved to other places in the planet, besides the fact that they weren't bred for that pest resistance, are they somehow bred to deal with a little different light cycle or do you deal with that in other ways? In other words, is there something special about your hops that they do um, perform well at these somewhat not ideal uh, daylight hours? Oh, yeah, that's a, that's a that's an interesting question. Uh, the as I said, the Kelly cultivar that was uh, we used as the cornerstone of our breeding program, if you like. Um, Which was the, the was the California cluster? Was the yeah yeah late cluster? Yeah, and oh, yeah, you, you would know Matt that the history of that one is is sort of weird. you know they're still not too sure exactly where it came from. You know, it's probably got some European ancestry as well as North American ancestry in it in the late cluster. So, um, but you know that it, you know, whether it was this clone that came from um, the Russian River Valley or or what it was, but anyway, it, it was well adapted to. Whereas the English and the German cultivars, as you point out, Matt, you know, was they're way north in terms of latitude, and and they they're not robust at all. I think you you find that as breeding is um, breeding of hops anywhere in the world now, I mean they're. The hops are a lot more adapted. Like you, you for, for example, Cascade is a hop that was selected up around, you know, in the north, you know, Pacific Northwest, way higher latitudes than what we have. But, but that one is um, widely grown uh, around the world, so it's it's not unique to particular latitude bands, if you like. Um, I'm not too sure whether I'm answering your question or not, but I mean, it's. Uh, it, to me, it's it's um, you know we're, we've selected them right here. The our cultivars have been selected at 41, 42 south, but they'll certainly grow elsewhere in New Zealand and probably in the world if if we let them. So, I mean, I think, out of our country. I think what you wanted to know is, can we take Nelson Solomon and grow them anywhere in the world? <laughs> I think, but um, the the idea, like like Dr. Ron just pointed on, you know, the Cascade variety is probably your most best study to do it on because worldwide it's been put into different breeding programs as a mother plant or or whatever it has, 
And typically in New Zealand, it has changed so much in the 30 or 40 years it's been in our growing environment that we've renamed it Taiheke because it's off the chart like a completely different cultivar. So it's obviously adapted to the climate, adapted to our growing systems, how we grow up. We've got higher alpha betas, we've got higher yield, we've got higher oils and everything come with it. So if you put that in front of all the other cascades, um, that's where you get your fairest thing. But was back, back in the late 70s, early 80s, they had a major plant swap around the world between the, the breeding groups between Germany, England, um, America and New Zealand and Australia. And that was the last major plant swap that happened that made people increase their breeding stocks. Um, so in that time, you know, the likes of New Zealand shipped over several different varieties. Um, Alpha Aroma was one of them, which is now called Rakel here in New Zealand. Um, and that I, I know is growing up in sort of over um, New York way, I think they're trying to grow that there and it doesn't grow at all well. Um, so, you know, there are things that grow well in what we consider this utopia of New Zealand, but there's certainly other things that they might. I think another thing to to, uh, to mention is the fact that we don't have pest and diseases like other countries have got. So we don't have, we don't select ours for any, any of those um, issues. So when those, some of these hops are grown elsewhere, when they have been grown elsewhere, they, they don't perform very well, probably because they're, they're susceptible to powdery and downy mildew um, and other diseases as well. So, but we don't have those in New Zealand. So that's, that's our economic advantage, I guess, if you like. So, yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Is that that's a <laughs> Something else that you mentioned that I kind of wanted to key in on before I forget. Um, one, you know, you, you mentioned that Nelson, when you went into the, the kiln room, Brent, and it smelled like, you know, cat pee on a Christmas tree or however you described it. You know, it's often how people describe citra here in the United States, yeah. which yeah. probably repulsed the first couple of brewers who, who smelled it, thinking they were going to make a lager beer with it. And then later it took some, you know, some stroke of brilliance that somebody figured out it made a great IPA and then everything takes off like wildfire. But I think another curiosity that uh, myself as a brewer and other brewers have is, yeah, there's a very unique New Zealand aroma and you liken it to maybe a little bit of the, the cat pee on that thiol side, but you know, a lot of people describe it similar to Sau Blanc and some of the best Sau Blanc grapes in the world are also grown very close to where you grow the hops. And I mean, you know, as a scientist, Ron, is there any link to that? Is there, you know, we, we love to talk about terroir. We love to talk about this, especially with grape varietals and maybe a lesser extent to hops, but you hear this word thrown around and I mean, there's a lot of times where I'm given a beer and I can't tell you which variety is specific. Maybe it is Nelson or something, but there is a, a unique, uh, you know, um, New Zealand, um, maybe it's specific to Nelson, but there's a, a specific aroma there that um, yeah. seems to mm. only come from your area. Yeah, I think a lot of it, Matt, to, in a roundabout way, I can answer it, but it's, it's um, the... I guess it's the uniqueness of our germplasm that we've used. We've used specific North American cultivars and we've used specific um, European cultivars in our breeding program. And the combinations of those, they, they obviously with our parental development work, you know, we are honing in on ones with sort of unique um, characteristics for our breeding program. So you cross those parents and um, nowhere else in the world have got those. So I guess to answer your question, it's probably in the genetics. 
and um, that it's um, they are unique and um, to, to New Zealand that is. Um, and we, I guess, we pride ourselves on the fact we are different because I can't see that New Zealand can, um, you know, the industry won't can't compete with the America or Germany or other countries just on sheer size because uh, you know we've got to have some um, point of difference and we we've got this phrase called hops for the difference and I've, I've given talks at conferences and we've used that in our you know marketing version and all that sort of mm-hmm. stuff and uh, so it's um, it I think yeah without being specific you know certainly the the thiol um, side of things is quite interesting for us now. You know, I've, I've been asked lots of questions about the file contents of New Zealand hops, and it's it's actually <laughs> even that's quite a, a, a complex subject in itself. Matt, you you'd be well aware of that. And we've got um, Scott Jamish is you know he's written that book about, and a lot of it's about um, files, and and he and he talks in that book a lot about New Zealand hops and the uniqueness and the combination, the synergistic effects they they have on um on you know other or on beers basically you know in combination not necessarily only with New Zealand hops but with other hops as well so I think New Zealand hops and American hops actually seem to play quite well together and um some of the more interesting beers that I've tasted here in New Zealand I haven't had the experience of tasting too many in the States but but some of the best hops that I've tasted have been blends of um you know using New Zealand hops alongside um American hops so it's uh, you know, I, I don't want to appear to be anti-America here. <laughs> <laughs> well, I feel I feel that, that that probably that work was born out of necessity because for the longest time, at least, you know, I'll just speak for myself, I couldn't get my hands on enough uh, New Zealand hops to use them 100% in any one of my beers until recently. So we always had to get really kind of crafty in our way of blending to kind of weave them into our beers. Um, mm. And, uh, but... But anyway, I, I, I feel like, yeah, that the Nelson kind of set everything um, apart initially. And, and just to clarify, you had a hand in, in breeding that hop? Yes, I did. Yeah, yeah. that's one of my babies. <laughs> I love this. I just want to okay, clarify and, that, you know. And Marwalka and, um, and also uh, Motueka, uh, some and, my babies and, and Nectar on. Wow. And now Nectar on. Yeah, so that's no, a famous that's, lineup. Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, I'm, I'm very proud of what uh, we've been able to achieve here. And when I say we, it's it's the hop team that I work with here, and and also the industry people too, but the growers and the brewers. You know, we we're actually very close. And um, um, NZ Hops, you know, in terms of the marketing arm too, you know, we we work very closely with them, and uh, we just, you know, we've had a research meeting last week with. Uh, with, with Brent and Lauren attended and, uh, you know, we're talking about the way we should be working towards the future and, and what sort of, you know, the presentation of data and similar things like that. So, yeah, we, it's it's pretty seamless, which I think is really good. And that's what, one thing that I've been able to hopefully achieve in my science career is, you know, I, I realised that the pathway to market is so important with our research. You can have the world's best um, plant breeder, but if, if they haven't got that link, to um, industry, it's um, it's not going to go too far. So, and I'm, I'm really pleased that we've we've been able to develop that not only with New Zealand um, the NZ hops here, but uh, in terms of the marketing arm and the growers here, but also in 
people like yourself, Matt, you know, over the States, you know, we've, you and I've had conversations before and I've, um, uh, I, I, I recall the first time I met you, in fact, was at the, um, at the Brewers Guild of New Zealand. You, you were the chief judge and uh, a few years ago. And, um, and you got up at the end of it and, uh, you, you won me over by saying that, um, you guys here in New Zealand, you should be using New Zealand hops more than what you are. And, uh, and you, you, you had a graph up there and you were talking about new world hops, I think it was. And, and you're saying, you know, here's America have got new world hops and New Zealand's got new world hops. And, you know, you guys, you should be using those more of those New Zealand hops. So you had me one over there. Oh, <laughs> Good job. I wanted to focus in too on something that you've discussed here, which is about that unique aroma quality uh, of these hops. And and Matt, I was going to ask the question uh, of these guys, like because to me the the aroma of Nelson is so unique, and and all of all of the New Zealand hops. But I didn't notice it very much till recently, to be honest. So my question was initially going to be like, how has it evolved to get that way? But it sounds to me, I'm sure there has been some evolution. But Matt, you made this great point. You could never get enough of them for it to like be a focus of the beer. And now New Zealand hops are so popular, especially here where I'm at in the Bay Area. Uh, we buy every every craft beer that somebody makes with New Zealand hops in it because me and my staff here just love those characteristics. They're now getting, even though it's still such a small yield comparatively that you all have, they're now getting enough of those hops that they can be showcased in our craft beers. And so to me, even though I've known about Nelson uh, Savine for 15 years, I'm experiencing it in an all new way. I was never really able to experience the hops like we are now. So I think I just wanted to put a point on that, but it's this great point you make, Matt, that we're now just finally, at least some of us, able to get them in enough quantities to, to showcase this. And, and maybe this is a good segue over to you, Brent, because I also feel that, you know, it's hard when, when, when hops are scarce, Sometimes the first time we're introduced to a hop, that hop might not have been picked in its optimal window because that hop was picked yeah. for a different brewer for a different purpose. I'm not saying it was a bad hop, but, you know, every brewer seems to have to find their way to, you know, my uh, early, mid or late harvest window brewer for this particular hop. And I mean, I was going to say, you know, maybe we can talk about Nelson specifically, but really, I don't want to just stay on that one hop as, as a grower. And as, as your family has kind of followed some of this breeding activity, tell us a little bit about what it's like to grow these hops. Um, and yeah, some of, I mean, we've had some wonderful conversations about picking window and how critical that is to how these hops play in the brewery. So maybe you can kind of take it that direction. Yeah, well, um, so we can take it back a little bit further. So we're always going to be a small industry. And so we have to create hops with a difference. So we become noticeable. We're also a very very capital expensive um, industry to be a part of. So, you know, um, there's very few people who remember um, what it was like 15, you know, 10, 15, 20 years ago as a hop grower. As a hop grower, um, you were struggling to buy a new tractor the following year. You know, uh, I think it was with the period between the 80s and the 90s, over 100,000 acres of hops got pulled out worldwide. That's generations of American farmers, of German farmers, English farmers, New Zealand farmers. At the peak, there were 66 hop farmers here in New Zealand. Um, we got down to a low of 17. Um, now, when we were down at a low of 17, that was when I figured out, well, let's give this hop growing kind of thing a crack. And I had people asking me, 
Yeah, many people from around the world met and said, geez, you already do have bloody rocks in your head, don't you, kid? <laughs> and um, but I I thought, no, nah, there's got to be something. We've got to dig ourselves out of the hole here. And you know, we we had farms up on the precipice of folding every single year. Um, so it was a very, very tough time to to live through. Um, so you know, when you get given a, a new variety that comes into the system, you, you have to learn how to grow that variety. And growing that variety takes a few hits on yield or it takes a few hits of leaving that in the cool store for a year or two because no one's heard about it or, or no one has brewed with it before or no one wants to. But, I mean, the whole craft brew phase that started for us was, was an amazing craze for it. It did rescue um, hop growing worldwide. And we take our hats off to every craft brewer who has helped us create our craft better so you guys can have a better craft. Um, so, and, and in doing so, it's helped us push boundaries. Well, okay, yes, this, this brewer does prefer that later stuff. And, you know, you may be on a phone, phone call to a brewer or, or like you're at harvest time, Matt, and I'm saying, you know, I'm going to hold on another couple more days, Matt, that the plants collapsing around me, but I can just see the, the hops just turning brilliantly. Um, and you're going in the background, shit, I hope he's right. <laughs> but, well, I think, but, I think so many of us learned that it's not a beauty contest, right? That, you know, in order to, you know, uh, maybe maybe the whole IPA and craft world has has created a whole new, uh, you know, we push hard for aroma, not necessarily alpha. And when you would have picked the hop at its peak for its bittering potential, and it would have won the beauty contest on the, the table. Right. It's nowhere yeah. near ripe enough to perform well as a dry hop. And yeah, I've had the, I mean, you must have seen through just, you know, your, your career so far, a huge shift in that focus on harvest window. Almost, yes. Most yeah. certainly. Yeah. I mean, you could, you could, let's say, get away with it back in the generic times of, of um, producing the bulk commodity hops, because as you say, you're focused on alpha or beta. We had contracts that were stipulating if you do not reach this amount of alpha, you will not be in the top tier of the contracts. Now, often that can be related to soil type. So your soil type or terroir with inside a variety, if you have it growing on clay soil versus sandy soil, then um, you can get different characteristics out of those um, hot varieties. You know, same variety, it may only be a matter of 10 minutes drive apart or a field that's on the furthest corner of your, of your um, farm. Um, so we've now learnt, well, we, we're learning and still continue learning, and we always will, especially if these, as these new varieties come on, okay, what um, what soil type is it so better to? Are we wanting a free-draining, sandier, silty loam, or are we wanting a um, clay-based soil that's going to hold our plant that bit longer so we can increase a little bit more oils, or we can, you know, slight manipulations like that, and that's how pinpoint we're getting. You know, on, on our farm we're growing 19 varieties on, on over two farms. Um, we bought uh, our new farm about five years ago now and it was it's one of the heaviest clay soils in, in our region. Um, whereas on our home farm we're right next next to the Wadawaka River and you can where the breeding plant here is you can actually pretty much throw a stone and hit our pop shoot across the river. Um, so very similar soils to here but we now know what suits that soil type to the soil type that's only 10 minutes driveway. Um, and that's really quite important for us programming harvest windows, what our clients are going to want. I mean, 
was on the digger first thing this morning and I was pulling out Nelson Sovereign. And you guys go, what the hell are you pulling out Nelson Sovereign from? No. Uh, um, and, and, yeah, what the hell are you yeah. doing? <laughs> and, and the reason for that is, is purely because Nelson Sovereign in our area is, is, it gets highly affected by mites. So we can be dropping 30 to 40% of our crop um, from mite damage. But the problem is the mite can collapse the hop too early and all of a sudden we shift our harvest window by three or four days too early and we don't get the right product to utilize. So that's how pinpoint, sure, we could sell the shit out of Nelson Sovereign, but in the back of my mind, I'm going, I don't care. I'm not here just to sell the crap out of anything. I'm here for you guys to get what you really want out of that hop. So yeah, if it's got to go, it's got to go. But on the positive side, you, you've got Nelson Sovereign you, on your heavier sword. Yeah, yep. virtually, yep. it's doing exceedingly yep. well. So, yep. so, you know, that's and that's uh, as the crow flies, it's only about uh, what 20, 10, 10 kilometers away. Mm -hmm. So, um, and, yeah, and that, that's, that's, yeah, that's what we find. So, the clay soils that we're finding here in New Zealand can um, mm -hmm. um, really hold back, you know, if we have any mite issues um, or anything like that, which is often quite rare. But we spend a lot of money on um, predator mites and things like that. We avoid spraying our crop at the very, very last resort. Um, so I think we've sprayed once in the last three years and that was only about two hectares out of a hundred. Um, so that, that's, that's the very big tank. Yeah. That New Zealand hops is really trying to achieve, you know, we, and let's say that field that we're pulling out, we probably would have lost about $15,000 a hectare, um, over four hectares. What's that? 60 odd grand a hectare. We lost by not spraying, but to keep our spray-free tag and releasing predators after predators to try and eat those those mites, that's just what the what the, the customer wants, really. So um, that's yeah. what we're trying to do. I remember when I first asked a, a New Zealand farmer about that once. I, I don't know if it was on a show or or not, but I asked, you know, do you, do you guys have organic, you know, farming in New Zealand? And, and the answer was. Yeah, yeah, we just call that farming. Like we just farm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like it's all organic because we don't have you know these these main problems. I was lucky enough to get to visit for a 2020 harvest. Um, my friends at the new farm there at Hop Revolution um, in, invited me out, oh. so I got to see harvest. But I remember even looking at my like I had to get my passport to come into New Zealand, and you know they're like, don't you can't bring your dirty camping gear. You can't bring your dirty hiking boots. You can't bring these things. It's a very protected environment that you folks are now very lucky to have. So I, you know, I appreciate how well uh, you guys have been able to do this over the decades. I can see how you, as you just said, it's very much a last resort to, uh, to go to anything that's not sort of a natural process. You know, I wish that the whole world could be so lucky. So to, to give you an idea on that, Justin, so for um, to release our predators, it's around $600 a hectare um, per time we do it. We're now getting to the point that we're releasing those predators on hop leaves. So they're, they're growing uh, um, uh, the predators on those hop leaves with a few mites. You know, you've got to have, they've got to have food. And then we go and walk them out to the hops and we release them from, from the hops that way. If you take that to the easy option of taking a spray, it's about $180 to $100 so it's probably a third of the cost, and you know you're getting an instant kill, but that's not what we're trying to achieve. And so, um, and, and look, we still use our, we still are a farming system, so we have weeds that we've got to contend with. So we still use our burn-off sprays to singe off the weeds, but then we also have a very good sprayer, and it's called Sheep. So, um, and, then, and those those sheep do uh, a lot of work for us in terms of 
cleaning up our crop and cleaning up our weeds and tasting bloody good on your belly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because there's a joke in there somewhere that I'm just going to leave alone. But uh, yeah, yeah, cheap, yeah, very okay. important. Watch yourself. Leave <laughs> 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 some cheap jokes, please. <laughs> and then the, um, I, had, I was going to ask what the, the, excuse me, the, the predators that you're actually releasing Ladybugs and the like, or what else is there? Persimilus uh, no, is the main one that we can release. So it's where we're lucky in this environment. So persimilus, um, they, they can eat up to 50 um, two-spotted mites a day and optimum for them. But persimilus will stop working. They'll, they'll go back into the cave underneath the leaf head um, at once temperatures hit about 27, 28 degrees, <laughs> degrees sorry, Fahrenheit, Celsius. Um, so, but then uh, once you get to that temperature, then the mites really start to accelerate in the two spot. So it's a very, very fine line when we do add these mites, um, the, the persimilis, um, mm. to take over these guys. You've got to enter them into the crop with a food source um, so that they can go on there and eat them. And um, timing is absolutely critical, whereas in the States, you know, it's too hot. Um, you know, the Yakima Valley would, would very much struggle using the persimilis as a as a mite fighting control or biocontrol. Um, but yeah, ladybugs are handy, but persimilis is by far the most aggressive two-spot mite eater. So, um, yeah. Excellent. Excellent. Well, because I know that some of the meat of this conversation, I want to make sure we leave enough time for it. I wanted to jump into to hop varieties themselves. You know, we've really focused on, on Nelson right now, and, and rightly so. It's the rock star hop. But we've also mentioned a few of the others. Uh, Matueka is one. It's also a region that you've mentioned for anybody who doesn't know that. Uh, Rewaka. And, and I know that there's some, some others, too. So I wanted to give you guys a chance to, and I know Matt has some questions about specific ones. Um, Matt, what's I'm drinking your maybe we could start here because I'm drinking the Propagator Series Gen 5 Hazy Double. And you've got some New Zealand hops in here, right? What are what's in this one? So so Gen 5 is a beer. It's a re, it's a recipe that um it transforms every year. And this year Sam used uh our hazy IPA yeast. And because it was available and he couldn't resist, he snuck some Ruaka into what was supposed to be an established dry hop recipe. So um, so that, that's the twist in that one. Um, but maybe our biggest release this year and where I feel like we learned the most, um, is, is Luponic Distortion this year. And it was really the major focus of the contracts that we signed and some of the activity around New Zealand hops. And there we did a blend. And honestly, I kind of came into that blend, blend, not understanding or knowing the hops as well as I do today. Um, but we, we did that basically by rubbing on a table and creating something that was pleasing there, uh, doing some single hop trials in our pilot brewery, but, but quickly trying to form a blend. And that ended up being Nelson, Nectaron, uh, Rewaka, and Mautuika, with Nectaron being kind of the feature kind of, you know, big mm. player in that blend. Um, well, that's a, that's a good combination. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, you know, I, I would have to say that, you know, so those are, those are kind of four hops that have been like, you know, kind of top on our radar. Each is very different in my opinion. Um, so I don't know where to start, but we, we've already talked about Nelson a little bit. So maybe, maybe we can start with Rewaka because it maybe was a predecessor. I know it's very difficult to grow 
And maybe you can give us a little bit of the background on that hop since so many brewers are so excited about that hop. And I don't know if it's just because they can't get it or because it's so expressive in beer. I think it's both, but uh, maybe you both can tell us a little bit, one, about its origin yeah, sure. and also about growing it. Yeah, well, it was, um, it was born in 1985, to give you a precise year. And, um, and it was... Um, it struggled to start off with. We, we selected it two years later. I can remember um, selecting the plant, in fact, uh, out, in the, out in the field and rubbing it and realising, my God, this one's got some, it was very, it's very rich in oils um, and it's, you know, it's got a, a really neat um, walker smell to it, if you like. And um, so it was quite unique. And we, we selected it and it was eventually put into a beer which was made by... Um, um, Montes, it's a it was a pilot. Uh, sorry, it was a craft brewing um, place here in New Zealand at the time, or and it was a it was um, bought out by uh, Dominion Breweries. Um, anyway, they produced a festive beer uh, with uh, Walker, and it was it was at that time it was absolutely sensational. We're talking about the nineteen nineties by then, of course, because even though it was born in, in nineteen eighty five, it takes quite a few years to get through the, all the various trials that we we subject them to. And so, so that, that hop um, eventually made it out the other end. It hasn't got a, a classic um, aroma profile. If you go by the German standards of uh, noble aroma, um, you, you know, a blind man can see that it hasn't got the profile of a, of a German um, noble aroma cultivar. So it's, um, but it's unique. And that's, as I said earlier on, that's what we pride ourselves on. We, we want, we don't want to be in other people's space. You know, that's, that's their space, but we want to be in our space. And um, so we've, um, yeah, that's when Real Walker was first, first born. It's got, you know, I consider it to have free, uh, you know, it's big on citrus. Um, and you, you might have some um, other, other points too, Matt or, or, or yeah. our colleagues here. But, I mean, it's, it, it's, it, it is quite unique. It's probably the most unique cultivar outside of Nielsen Saban that we've produced. Uh, and now with Nectaron coming along, they the three that are really, really different. If you want something before we... Before we go to Denectaron, I, I do want to cover, because I've heard from, Matt just mentioned it, and I've heard from so many of my New Zealand friends about how hard it is to grow. And I guess I was curious about that. And I know that hops are selected for the opposite reasons. You want yield. You want them to be able to grow. Yet this one still survives, It's because it, I guess because it's a great hop. So I don't know, Brent, uh, can talk to us about why it's hard to grow? And if it's so hard, why is it still around? Yeah, well, um, <laughs> I look at things as a challenge, Justin. So um, we nice. we had Rewalker come onto our um, joint venture farm, which we um, farm with our local um, even group, uh, the local Maori organisation. So um, we brought it on because we realised, and as Matt said, you know, he, he, in Lupine Distortion, he tried four different New Zealand hops and they're all unique, you know, and that's what we want. We want unique. And... We want brewers to be able to use certain hops and then use the gold dust on top, which is what we're hoping is our New Zealand hops. Um, it may not look like a rock star on paint, but when you get it into a beer, you're like, holy shit, you know, this is really adding gunpowder to the ammunition. You know, so that's that's been the breeding line. But Rewalker, um, it's a very poor root um, structure as it forms. So I've spent the last, well, now 11 years tracking right from fields right out of the plant. I've tagged those plants, I've monitored them right through propagation, right through growing, right through the whole system so that we can try and um, get the whole sort of 
um, breeding with uh, plants or propagating from plants that have got that little bit more X factor that can sustain, um, you know, certain environmental impacts that we're now facing as farmers. Um, so I feel like in the last two years I'm, I'm kind of cracking it. And um, what was it? La uh, not last year because we got smashed with the hail, but the year before. Um, we uh, produce the largest yield that's ever been seen off Rewalker. So, um, yeah, we're, we're starting to win, win the battle there. And, it, and it's through what we're doing on farm, you know, out of those over the, over the four or six mother stock mother plants that I've selected from out of 10,000 plants, um, that we're now up to 6,000 of those plants. And hopefully we can keep that line going. And all of a sudden we've got a plant that is, is much more capable of handling the weather diversities and the, the poor root structure and, and all that formation. When, at, on our home farm, we, we've now had a propagation facility, a glasshouse facility for about five years now, and we, we we take it right back to the field. In the morning, I go out with our guys every day of propagation from about 5, 36 o'clock in the morning, and we go and take cuttings of 20, 30-odd thousand cuttings. Now, in that row, there may be 200 plants in our hop row, I may only select 20 or 30 of those plants out of that 200 because I like the form of it, I like the way it grows, um, I like the structure of it, how it's shaped. Um, so I'm not taking, I'm not going out there and taking every single cutting because that's what we need to do to keep the, you know, the sheep crew growing. We're specifically getting these ones into the system because we know that they've got vigor and that, that's for every variety. So one thing we've noticed on our new farm, we, we had the luxury of being able to do that sort of system. So you know, we get hop growers, we get non-hop growers driving past our new farm. They, they say to us, you know, how do you get everything so balanced and so even? And we're just like, well, it starts right from the start. You've got to produce that good good plant. I actually uh, bought a plant here to show you because that's actually what we're doing right now. So that there, we don't we don't do root cuttings. That that's that's what we produce here. That's a hop okay. crown, we call that. Um, so we're wanting root structure and we're wanting, if you can see the buds and nodes appear on the top there. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, that, that, that's what we're after. Um, so that's, that's a fine line out of, let's say, if we were to put 10, 10 plants into a pot, um, at deep potting time, we may have seven of them that we call first grade, um, a couple that we won't bother with and one of them that we might just try again. So. Yeah, we're, we're refining it that much that we want the best quality plant material to go on our field. So we've got no excuses. If we stuff up, it's our fault, not the plant's fault. So, right. Um, yeah. And would you say that Rewaka then is better grown in the sandy or in the clay soils there? Um, definitely in the sandy soils. Rewaka is a very much a, a late um, training window plant. So it will come out of the ground probably about six weeks after any other variety. Um, so in your clay soils, you're generally wanting a plant that comes away a bit quicker. Um, when you've got clay soils, out of, they're brilliant in the wintertime because they keep it cooler, but you get a more consistent growth. So your growth pattern on a clay soil sort of goes like this and then it buttons off. Your sandy soils go like this and then they go up at a big spike. Now that's your growth spike there. But when you're growing hops, you're wanting to stack on all those literally um, plant leaf are the, the leaf nodes and the, the branch spacings because inside them, that's where your branches come out. Where your branches come out is where your hops are. If they accelerate too quickly, 
then you have less branches, less branches, less hops. So, you know, you'll see people go, oh, my gosh, my hops just grew like a foot a day. It's like, yeah, no, not, not a good idea, team. <laughs> so, um, you know, you, you want to sh- slow that down, but you're not wanting to slow it down too much. If you slow it down too much, then potentially it won't get over the top, bend over, shut it, sack, flow off, so it puts its arms out and, and grows a crop. So it's a, it's a very fine line. And, you know, the likes of the time I've spent Yakima and things like that, they've got a much more user-friendly growing environment because, shit, it's just sunny the whole time. Right, <laughs> you know, yeah. it's, it's, it's like growing in a glass house, where it, whereas at home, you know, in our growing season, we can have two days of constant rain and they have four to five inches uh, over that time, you know, well, that's two-thirds of Yakima's whole yearly rainfall. Um, so we've got to balance our soil systems with our varieties, with everything. So we've got a lot more of a um, a fruit bowl that we've got to select from when, when, when we're doing these things. So, okay. yeah. That brings up a, a, a good point. So Yakima, um, for those of the listeners who, who don't know, has to be 100% under irrigation or it just doesn't work. It's just too arid throughout the entire summer growing season. Now they got the advantage of more sunny days, um, but they really are reliant on irrigation. The Willamette Valley, I, you know, I don't know for sure, maybe these days more than uh, maybe the majority of it is under irrigation, but traditionally you could actually grow hops there and rely on some rainfall. And certainly in Germany, maybe only 50% of the crop is under irrigation. How is it there in, in New Zealand? Is everything under we're, irrigation? We're, yeah, we're all under irrigation. Um, Dad was one of the first people to bring irrigation into our system, into the New Zealand growing system. Um, that would have been back probably um, early 60s, I think. Um, so, yeah, and that, that was all about shifting mobile, you know, m- movable pipes and everything like that um, all around um, the hop garden. Um, we have championed the overhead irrigation system because it means that we can, um, you know, water our cover crops in between. So we keep a really good growing environment for our plants. Um, the, the drip tube we've kind of sort of shied away from. We, we uh, are of the adage that if you've got a, um, uh, if, if you've got a more spread even pattern um, of, of the irrigation, then your plants just keep on filtering out. And people got to remember when you're talking about a plant, it feeds from the roots. You know, so if you haven't got a good root cluster going out and saying, oh, I'll pick that cherry there and that cucumber there and that piece of meat there, you know, you, you've got to pick everything out of the soil for it to grow properly. Um, you know, and if it's not looking good on top, you can guarantee it's not looking good down below. So we don't just grow that strip of where our hot mm-hmm. plants grow. We make sure we concentrate on on growing the whole, you know, sward of, of where we're growing in. Things. So, yeah, we're very much overhead irrigation. There's been um, quite a bit more drip, drip tube um, sneak into the into the systems over here now, which is fine. That, that's no problem at all. People can fertigate like that um, and put them in the systems. Um, also, to avoid sort of wind and, and factors like that. But to give you an idea, um, the Motawaika area has got probably one of the best underground aquifers in the whole of New Zealand. The water is just crystal clear. It's amazing. Flows down from our hills only a few kilometres and it's hit the sea. Um, so it's, it's really quite amazing soil. Now, we're only going down to 18 to 20 feet and we're, we're pulling up um, you know, some of the most pristine water to water our hops with. It's pretty, pretty being, neat. Uh, being a California brewer, that almost brings a tear to my eye to think about. <laughs> <laughs> so then, we, 
then we go, you know, to our mootry clays, and we've got one of the deepest um, wells in the mootry clay because when you when you're talking about soil types, mootry clays like that, it's like putting putting um, plates on top of each other. So for that water to seep through down into the aquifers, it's a long way down. So one of our bores is over twelve hundred feet deep. Um, so yeah, I, th I think we're, we're we're tapping on Middle Earth down there somewhere. So. <laughs> yeah, you are. <laughs> I was at yeah, Middle so, Earth. So, and, and water is the next goal. You know, any agricultural, well, farming system around the world is um, what is what is needed to keep crops growing, everything like that. And as as we grow these crops to um, for for a larger population that we're growing for, people are seeking efficiencies and sufficiency out of water. How we use it? Are we watering it right? You know, um, are we overwatering things? And and it's something we try to pride ourselves on too, is, is our conservation of things like that. We um we want to make sure what the crop needs it gets, but we don't want to overdo it either. So, well, let's okay. let's let's switch to another hop variety, and I'm just going down the list on the Luponic uh, uh, can here. So before we get to Necron, I want to talk about Mautuika, which I think is a completely different hop. From a brewer's perspective, and and one that um, I have to admit, when I was in New Zealand rubbing hops, well, really, I didn't. There wasn't anything I didn't like, and Mautuika really showed well on the table. Um, and I probably had a little more difficulty integrate integrating it by itself. It seems to be a great um, blending hop for us. In, in in fact, in this in this blend, it worked out marvelously. And I know we're doing some trial work here coming up shortly where Sam at the Propagator is going to brew some lager beer with Mautuika. But I wondered what, you know, between, you know, Lauren, your, your opinion, what you hear from brewers and maybe Brent on the growing side, uh, educate us a little bit on that hop. Um, yeah, what are brewers saying that you talk to about that hop and where are they finding a best niche for that hop maybe? Yeah, I think an interesting place to start is how it's used in the breeding program. And mm. how it is used is kind of a control almost mm. um, in the brewery here when uh, they're brewing with the trial hops um, because it's um, nobody dislikes it. Everybody mm. comes back to it and it, it kind of like realigns your palate in terms of the New Zealand hop profile um, and you can just come back to it, realign. There's some really nice ripe citrus notes. Um, that I think would go really well. And most brewers that have used it go really well in lagers, um, in hop forward style lagers. Um, and yeah, it just, it's likable for everyone. And I think that's the best feedback. I think a lot of brewers have the same opinion as you. It's hard to fit it as a single hop in your brands, but that it complements everything so well. And it really allows other hops to shine and it, um, can push forward flavors that you might have not seen before. Okay, um, that, makes, that's, that makes sense to me perfectly because, you know, I think a lot of us, uh, again, I'll go back a couple of years where we just couldn't get our hands on, you know, uh, the New Zealand hop. So any New Zealand hop we get our hand on, we'd, we'd gladly take it on. And then, of course, we wanted it to fit into our IPA program. And, you know, maybe some of these hops aren't um, tuned perfectly or maybe it's, maybe it's all about intensity level. It's just not as intense it doesn't stand out like a Rawaka or a Nectaron or a Nelson, yeah. but it's just such a pretty hop, especially when you rub it on the table. I mean, I just fall in yeah. love with it every time. 
And yeah. Uh, yeah, so so Sam is going to do a, a a lager beer, kind of a, a summer lager beer with Maltuica, and he's very pumped about it. Of course, I was like, well, save it, save it for our IPAs. He's like, no, 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 we're growing <laughs> lager beers. And how, how is it to grow, Brent? I mean, in, I, I terms like- of, in terms of yeah, in terms of growing, it's, it's one of the it's one of the major varieties that know that you know if you've got it wrong. Um, so this year, particularly, you know, we had in our growing season, we had less sunshine hours, um, very noticeably less sunshine hours. So being a front of season harvested crop, um, you know, you're always wanting to push that button to get going because if, you know if you don't, then further on down the track, you might miss another variety. Um, what I was very proud of this year was, you know, our group of growers in the, in the cooperative, there's a lot of phone calling. Oh, man, we would have started Model Acre, you know, four or five days ago this time last year or the year before. And I said, but it's just not ready. It's just not right. And normally you're out in the paddock and you give it that good rub and that good smell and you know when it's ready. So we we had one um, field there that we normally would harvest around about the 5th or 6th of March. We left right through to the 10th of March. You know, so that, that's quite a difference. The, those, the, the pinnacle of getting your hops exactly right out in your field is by waiting those extra days. You think, oh, what's five days? Well, five days is massive. When, you, when you're getting to the top of that curve to get everything bang on right. You know, I'll go and this, this year was particularly hard to get everything bang on. I questioned myself, pretty much didn't sleep the whole hot harvest. It was great. Um, and because You'd, you'd go out to the field and you go, but what I'm seeing on my dry matter test or my oil test isn't what I'm rubbing or smelling. I'm not going to believe the tests. I'm actually going to believe my nose on this and I'm going to look at the plant and I'm going to say, is it nearly collapsing around it? Is it looking green? Can it keep going? And I'd, I'd question myself and I'd go back out at the end of the day and go, shit, am I too deep sleep deprived to actually realise what I'm looking at here or is the numbers not stagging up? I'm going, ah, uh, no, it's not ready. And, and, but that's one variety that's very specific to that. If you have too early particularly, you will not get the aromas or the profiles come through of what people are looking for. And, um, yeah, that's... It reminds me... Yeah, the way has been used quite a lot in the um, fresh hop beers yeah. too. It's one of the more popular uh, hops to use. So it's um, it comes off earlier to harvest it early and, you know, they can... Put in their beers earlier and all that sort of stuff. So it's 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 actually quite a it's quite a versatile one. Yeah. And um, and as you rightly pointed out, Matt, you know if you're using it in lager, it's, it's probably going to come out pretty good. I'd say. Yeah, it shines. Yeah, good for pilsners too. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so yeah. I don't want to miss the opportunity to talk about your your baby or at least your your latest and greatest uh, Nectaron. <laughs> and, uh, Is Nectaron named after Dr. Ron? Is that why yes. it's Nectaron? It, oh, I thought Nectaron. I thought I was being stupid, uh, but it, that's I awesome. It. I love that. <laughs> Not entirely. When it came up, they um, they never told me what they're going to call it. See, they said, "Well, we want to use part of your name in the um, this new cultivar." And uh, this is we we're talking about eighteen months ago. And um, so, yeah, that's, and um, now I didn't think of any more of it until it was named. So, um, but anyway, I've got the sheet, t shirt to prove it. Mm-hmm. So, there you go. So, it's, I, have um, the, I have the can to prove it here. We did a, <laughs> on a yeah. single hop. Yeah. yeah. What, got, that's out of the propagator there, series, Matt. Is that what that was? Your nectar on single hop? On there. Firestone. Mm-hmm. 
I mean, yeah. it's, it's brewed in Paso Robles, but it's inspired by and originally brewed at the Propagator. So we do all of our trial brewing there and then we bring the recipes uh, up here yeah. to Paso Robles. And, you know, it's funny, this is another one where, you know, you know, part of the story of, of spending some time with you both was, well, it was still an experimental number. Do we talk about those numbers? We can talk yeah, about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's actually a full sister of the cultivar Waimea, which was released in 2012. Now, if you think back when, when Nectaron was born, if you like, with, with Waimea, um, and it was crossed in 2004, to give you an idea of the time frame. So it takes a, it takes a while to prove these things, but the real, um, YME was fast-tracked because at that time they wanted a um, high alpha replacement um, cultivar. So um, that the emphasis was put on that. But we realised this one had a pretty good agronomics so, and didn't have the alpha, but we, all, we knew it had some pretty unique properties. So we um, just kept it in the wings, if you like, and... We, um, we've been using it in our pilot brewing plant where we actually uh, purchased a little pilot brewing plant in 2014. And Nectaron was one of the first selections that came through there that stood out. And uh, it was, um, you know, and I haven't tasted a bad beer of Nectaron since then. Mind you, I'm, I'm a bit biased, I know. But, <laughs> um, but, uh, but it's, um, it's, it's got that wonderful tropical fruit flavours, you know, pineapple and... Um, Mangoes and all sorts of other things. Yeah, very ripe mango, ripe, jammy, peach at harvest, um, mm. pineapple. Yeah, mm. it's beautiful. Across the board, once it comes in, when it's in the field in Brent's fields, once it comes in as bales, and then once it's in a brew, you're like, this is special. Doc, yeah, Dr. on my actually got quite a bit of trouble for that. <laughs> because like, I was bringing being out here at the um, hot nursery over for how to plant food and I was with um, one of the other staff, Donna here, who does a lot of the things out in the field, and we were over at the nursery. I said, um, Donna, what are these pops or pops doing over here? And she said, Oh, they've been there for two years now. We might, you know, we might throw them out. And I said, Well, what are they? Oh, they're a new cultivar. And I said, Okay, well, let's try them. She said, What do you mean? I said, Well, I'll just pull some hops out at home and we'll put these in. And she said, Oh, okay, let's talk to Ron. So uh, we, we rang up Dr. Ron and he came out here and he pulled out two, two of the crosses for me. He said, right over, Red, this is you and me. We're not going to tell anyone about this. <laughs> and uh, we This got, is not going live, is it? We, <laughs> <laughs> we, we, got, we got wrapped on the knuckles pretty hard, that about six months later. But, um, yeah, a few years later, you have, have nectar on. And, and it's where we... we when you know you've got a variety that's waiting in the wings that you need to try, and the problem is is propagating it up to a level where people can use it. Um, so yeah, we, we've taken it from seventy odd plants through to two four thousand plants, four thousand plants to a hundred thousand plants, and you know worked that way out. So yeah, I know it, it stood out right from the start, really. Um, yeah, as an agronomic plant, and it came through the machine harvesting really well. And uh, as soon as we got on to, onto Rent's place and on, on the ground property, it was pretty obvious that it was going to be a, a winner. Uh, it was just a matter of stepping it through some brewing trials, which we've been doing for many years, of course, uh, since then. So, um, but there's been, it started off in New Zealand. Uh, one of the first people to do the, um, the brewing trials is a little um, brewery in, in Rotorua, of all places in New Zealand, uh, called Crouch's Brewing. And this, this guy was, um, 
where we sponsor a, an award at the annual um, Brewers Guild of New Zealand. And one of the awards is uh, um, that we sponsor is a sort of a, a new, yeah, a new. Um, it was I think it's um, a new product sort of area which is uh, featuring hops, obviously. And so we um, part of that prize was to, to <coughs> give the hops to uh, the winner, and that was happened to be Crouch's Brewing. And so that was one of the first brews. There's been other people who've used it, uh, obviously, since, and it's 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 surprising now, um, and it's it's quite good for. For me personally, to go around New Zealand and, and the moment and, and see all the different breweries here that are using it, and uh, and including our local ones, um, you know, the Sprig and Fern, and um, and also just down the road here, there's a little brewery, um, Hop Federation, uh, which is this one, here. <laughs> and um, and uh, also one in town here called Townsend's, and uh, so they're all using Nectaron now, so it's it's kind of nice to see it being rolled out so quickly. But yeah, I think it, it had a, it had a good start, and uh, it's sort of been one of those things. That it was in the right place at the right time, you know. And initially, probably it wasn't in the right place because they weren't after um, alpha acids of ten to twelve percent. They're after sort of sixteen plus, which Wymere had. And but it was um, uh, we uh, kept it. And it describes a breeding program to a T. You know, that's seventeen years ago. You have to think that far ahead. You've got to think prior to that of what you're going to breed to get to that point. And, and that's where we currently are now. You know, when we talk about our things when we get together with Ron and our breeding group, it's like, right, what are we going to produce that's going to be different and what brewers are going to look for in 15 to 20 years' time or 10 years? We're trying to get it down to 10 or 12 years before we can start getting it out, but it's time. And it's, is, is the palette going to be... It's, it's a real get the dartboard out going, right, we're going to hit that and we're going to see if people go, well, it's more scientific than that. <laughs> so, well, and, and so, uh, so from my perspective, um, obviously the hop was bred or a lot of the work was done before there was even such a thing as a hazy IPA or at least it wasn't a worldwide yeah. craze. And, and, and we initially um, deployed this into hazy IPA and that's what we've been focused on the most up to this point. But I'm now really curious and, or maybe you can tell me, have some brewers had uh, better or worse success with West Coast IPA, with pale ales, or like if you had to say today, and obviously, you know, we're only a, a short amount of time in on this hop, where do you think it's best, or it, where is it best fit? Um, or long or less that, she's, <laughs> she, she's our knowledge base. <laughs> yeah, that's why I was asking. I think it's seen, it's already seen so much success in hazies, but also in West Coast and pales. And I think, um, I think it will find its feet personally in West Coast or pales. Um, but it, it's so well-rounded that you kind of, it's up to the hop itself and where brewers are putting it. Um, I think we've seen a few dry hopped pilsners with it so you you um, never know right yeah I, um, I have to admit that um after we brewed with it for a while um like you know i'm just going to compare it to nelson because people are so familiar with that flavor profile where nelson has that high thiol a lot of the soft blonde character a lot of like just the classic new zealand top notes nectaron brings in the base a little bit and when i say that it has some qualities that are familiar to me from some of the american cultivars like yep. Citra, even. Yeah, um, yeah. So I do think it fits into uh, Hazy's, but I, I think it is a West Coast 
harp is yeah. yeah. So what you'll find too, man, is, is brewers are coming back to us saying, oh man, we've added this in with, with Simcoe or Radar and with Citra or something like that, and, and it brings something else out in those hops. Yeah. And, and that's one thing we also, we're not, we're not an industry who's saying, oh, only use that hop. You know, this is the beer you'll make, only use it. We actually want to make other hops from around the world sing, you know, as well as our own. So if we can pull out notes that other people are finding and other beer, well, not finding out of those hops, but they put our hops into that beer and finding it, and it's a win-win for everyone. It's win-win for growers and for the other hop growers. So it's not just all about what our hops personally do, it's what can our hops do to pull some other characteristics out of other growing hops around the world. So. And it's a very thoughtful uh, way to, to think about it. And it just encompasses every, the challenges that you face with being able to grow the amount of hops that people want, um, the desires that you have to have these hops that stand out. And it's a very well-planned and thoughtful approach that you are trying to make. Let's, let's think about the rest of the hops that everybody can get and how ours mix in with that. I really am impressed by that listening to you guys talk about it today. Yeah, I mean, you know, you go to the supermarket yourself and, you know, to make the ingredients of a cake, you don't just pick one thing, do you? So yeah. um, we, we're, we're just trying to make that cake nice and big and so everyone get really fat on um, So and, and it feeds down the system. So, you know, the hop farming community is a very small community worldwide. It may not seem like some people, but it really is, you know, especially when you're talking about generational farms as you go down the system and, um, it's just really neat to see everyone do well and 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 brewers do very well out of it too. So one one point just like like to make you talk about different selections of things. We we've got, you know, in behind Nexaron, which is the latest release, of course, we've got a whole swag of other selections coming through, which um we we can't name at the moment. But um, you know, there's it, this is the tip of the iceberg, if you like, in terms of our production is, is um, coming up. So the, the, the prospects are can be really good for for American brewers to tap into more good rock stars coming coming forth. I, I think uh, from New Zealand. Yeah. Matt, so was it four, three or four years that you were down here, and we came out here to plant food, and we opened up the um, chiller and bought out several different bags, and you're like. Okay, I've got to increase my luggage content. <laughs> but yeah, it's just, you know, we've got some real bangers in there. And, you know, the original name that we gave for Nectaron was Wow, because that was everyone's perception. As soon as they smelled it, I was like, wow, what is this? You know, nice. And, and that's what we're trying to get out of all of our varieties. It may not be on paper the most um, standout, but we want people to actually go, you know, there's something special in this. So, sure. Well, you know, I, I actually learned quite a bit in our hour here or more. Um, and there's a bunch of additional varieties that I would love to get through, but how are we doing? Justin, are we wrapping it up here soon? Yeah, we are wrapping it up soon. So I was kind of going to give us the option here, Matt. And look, it's your show. I'm just, uh, I'm just your, your patsy over here. <laughs> I thought we could either talk about maybe one more like experimental variety. They don't have to tell us what it is, but something they're excited about. Or, you know, I just realized you guys just finished harvest what a couple months ago. And we haven't even talked about that. Like I, so I thought we could either go like, what does this year's yield look like? Maybe we can cover both if that'll be. Well, quick. actually you make a, a really good point. And, and Brent, you were, you know, unfortunately we couldn't make it to visit during harvest or do selection on site, but I got to live a little bit of this through uh, FaceTime with you. And it was a particularly challenging year, at least for, for your farm. Maybe you could just let us know a little bit about 
how that went and, you know, what were some of the, uh, the mountain peaks and valleys in this crazy year on top of yeah. COVID and everything else. Yeah. Um, well, this year should have been quite a good celebration because, um, you know, even though my nana has died, she would have been 100 this year. Um, and she was a, a lady who spent her whole life on the farm, you know, and um, she was quite amazing. But, yeah, Boxing Day 26th of, of um, December, we got absolutely smashed with, a, with quite a hailstorm. Um, and it's the worst our era, our his, in the history of our area. Um, and it lasts for about 40 minutes. Um, so normally hailstorms are more direct or they pass over pretty quick. Um, we saw this one coming and just thought, oh, oh bugger. <laughs> um, and I actually raced inside to get my camera because I like my sort of photography. And, and I was trying to catch all this lightning in the background and we saw a tornado form over another spot, and um, which was only about 700 metres away from us. So it got pretty wild there. Um, we basically, in, in that 40 minutes, lost over half our crop. Um, so yeah, it, it was unbelievable. Tough, tough year for our family, but luckily it is the cooperative, you know, we've, we've got, we're spread over, you know, 60, 80 miles of, of area. So, um, there was probably about 30 of that area was, was hit quite bad. Um, it, it dropped our yields in terms of the New Zealand hop yields by, I don't know, probably 20%, Lauren. 15. 15, 20%. Unfortunately, most of that was on our farm. Um, but it was very interesting to see because the, the triggers, I mean, no one's ever gone through it before of, of that amount of hail. So to see what plant triggers, it couldn't have come at a worse time, to be honest. Like to that day was very bad because the hops A aren't either but either um over the top or they're nowhere near it or not quite there. So you've you've set your crop. If you can't set it from there, you're stuffed. Um, so we pushed our hops. A hell of a long way. We we didn't want to bury our heads in the sand. We thought, nah, stuff it. We need to keep these growing along quite healthy. So there was about eight fields there that we'd completely written off. Um, and we thought, oh well, we'll just see what we can do here. And uh, we managed to turn it around. Now we didn't turn that around with sprays or synthetics or anything like that. We actually turned that around with <coughs> a lot of fish oils, um, natural products that. You know, you've got to imagine. I speak of hops as being like humans. So if we if we go and cut ourselves pretty bad, one of the first things I do is drive about two or three k's down the road, and I go and walk in the sea. You know, the sea is one of the best healing places to heal anything. So what happens when your plants are scarred and everything like that? Throw them seed products. You know, so um, algae based products, whether it's fish or um, seaweed based products, they were basically like a band aid that went on the crop. And that turned it around from like those eight fields to only um, two fields that we didn't harvest economically yields. So um, yeah, it was it was a challenge that Mother Nature gave to us, and, and we uh, we thought, well, stuff here, we'll show you what we can do. And um, good job. Yeah, what we, a tough guy. <laughs> Not just the yeah. timing of it in your harvest, but like, oh hey, don't worry, a year of a pandemic, and then the hailstorm of the century. Sure, why not all at once? <laughs> <laughs> like what a you are you're still smiling and what a resilient oh, thing to well, do. Yeah, no, I mean we do it because we love it, Justin. You know, at the end of the day, your your wallet gets pretty heavily nailed. You know, we're we're going to be a few years behind now, but but that's just fun and life, and, and that's what we sign up for. Um, but you know, the industry as we've got here, the cooperative that we have, we may only be you know one percent of the world production, but all of that one percent. Bind it in to, to, to you know, Tapawera area had a, had a better yield. So 
beer production offload that what we can produce. I mean, it's not as if we didn't go out there and say, oh, we don't want to produce this, so let's not produce it. You know, we had some pretty big hurdles three years ago. We had two cyclones that our area has never seen before. And, and that, you know, so we're, we're finding all this climate change stuff. Yep, it's, it's hitting home pretty hard. And um, we've got yeah. to learn to live around with it. And um, yeah. What about the overall, what about the overall yield for, for your region? Would you say that we're on par? Would you say we've grown a little bit? Uh, what do you think? Um, generally, the industry is growing yeah. quite a bit. Uh, this, this year, because of the hail and Brent's farm, uh, it got knocked down a little bit, but otherwise it would have been an absolute bumper crop of the year. It was wow. beautiful. Yeah. yeah. So um, ironically, yeah, after... After the house storm, it was we had a pretty good autumn, really. It was, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Or late summer, I should say. But yeah, it was but generally just in this area is increasing here in New Zealand. Um, okay. There's a couple of other farms that that, that are going ahead and, and putting more area in. Um, they're, they're concentrating on sort of your, your model acres, your Nelson Solomons, your, your Ewalkers, and, and a couple of outliers. Um, so, yeah, yeah, no, and area is increasing and, and investments coming more from outside investment in terms of more corporate style farms. Um, so the, the general family farms that we have available here are, uh, are nearly tapped out with land and, and, and expenses and, and costs over the last five to seven years of trying to, you know, ramp up to meet, for me, um, grow, uh, brewer, brewer demand basically. So we're trying and we've tried a lot and, um, we're the, the banks have been our friends for, for a good few years now. Well, the, you know that the demand is there. I mean, the, yeah. the American brewers are just, so that, that's of course why we're sort of asking it here at the end because American brewers want, they want to know that they can get more. I'm, you know what? I'm sure New Zealand brewers want to know that they can get more too at this point. So yeah. well, I know. always think it's a it's an important thing to hear about the trials and tribulations on the farm because, you know, maybe some of us brewers take for granted that these raw materials just kind of show up on our doorstep and, yeah. uh, you know, if we yeah. pay a little bit more, maybe we can get more or something like that. But just like all the challenges in a brewery, all those things exist on the farm and all the way through kind of the, the raw material chain. And I just, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm always amazed. I, I go out on the hop farm and especially with you, Brent, I just see someone who's just as passionate about farming hops as myself and so many brewers are about making beer and uh, the connections between the farm and the brewery. I mean, I think the more that brewers go out and interface with growers, breeders, um, see these things in the field, they get a better feel for the challenges that are out there. And boy, I, I, I'm convinced it's much easier to be a brewer than a farmer. That's for sure. I figured, <laughs> one thing I've yeah. figured out uh, since I've become a brewer, and I always say the longer you're a brewer, the more farmers you meet and the more respect you have for what it takes to get those hops uh, and the other raw materials to the brewery in good shape for our brewing. Um, and, and, and I think we'll, we'll probably look back on history, Matt, and everyone knows that the last 18 months, two years, absolutely sucks for everyone, no matter who you are and what industry you're in. And, and it's really, hopefully, changed, it's not going to change the way humans think about each other and things like that. But, you know, the social media side of things, we're, we're getting out there a bit more, showing people what are happening on farms. You know, farmers aren't used to taking a, a camera out and, you know, videoing what they're doing or things like that. But... We're having to learn to do that to actually show people, okay, this is what's happening on our farms at the moment. You know, oh, we, we've had this event and this is what's happening, but it's more portraying the truth of what's going behind what was considered a bit of a, an iron curtain. No, this is the only product you get. No, no, we want to show you what's really going on and 
And uh, it's really neat that you're engaged and we're engaged with our final product and the consumers. If, if you look at the hop in the beer industry, there are very few industries worldwide like it that, that we've got a product that's produced right from the scientists through to the growers, through to the um, brewers, through to the consumers. We're all linked and we all are equally as passionate about it, I, I believe. So um, it's, it's pretty so <laughs> well, okay, you know, so, so I'm sorry, I know we're, we're almost out of time, but I have one more question to, to kind of end this on a, uh, uh, an, an intriguing note for our brewer listeners is, and, and there's no right or wrong here, so just you can throw it out. But, you know, I look at the list of New Zealand hops and there's all these crazy names, half of them I have a hard time uh, kind of pronouncing. And certainly I'm having a hard time wrapping my head around all of them. We talked about some of the top kind of contenders that more, most of us are familiar with. What are one or two of the varieties that are grown, uh, Ron, that you've bred, Lauren, that, that you talk to other brewers about that we maybe don't know so much about or are on your short list of you've got to try this New Zealand hop. Uh, it's not getting enough attention. Mm-hmm. I think uh, the one that's in my pocket when I brew is Whitey. Mm-hmm. I really love that hop. Southern Cross also. Um, just all around beautiful hops that are, are like i love these i don't know nobody else really knows that much about them but they're amazing and the same about Mataweka. it's a rock star mm. probably um Mertry is another one that yeah. um, stands out it's, it's the one that was released in 2015 there uh, matt and that's one that's, what's it called what was the name Mertry, m-o-u-t-e-r-e yeah sorry it's a Maori name, obviously. So it's um, anyway. The um, that's um, that's an area where the hops are grown. That's where Brent's other farmers, and it's um, we've had a tradition of naming the um, the new cultivars after areas. And that's got an interesting history in itself because it was originally called Brooklyn, and um, I think there's a brewery in in New York City that uh, actually were not very happy about. We're going to call it that. So anyway, we, um, <laughs> so it was quite an interesting debate that I, I, I tell quite a few stories about that 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 um, that whole scenario around Brooklyn versus uh, Mertry, and they've actually produced a beers here in New Zealand called uh, um, was it no 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 stop till Mertry. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so um, yeah. So it's um, Mertry is one that's it's very high off a hop, but it's also very um, interesting oil profile, and um, it's 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 could be used quite extensively, I think, in in uh, dry hopping areas as well. It's uh, got some unique flavors. So yeah, yeah that, that's some of them. Um, yeah, that's some of the older cultivars are, are still kicking around. Um, but they're quite well known, I think. Uh, one one that hasn't um, has sort of been increasing popularity in the last decade has been uh, Rakau, R A K A U, and that's one that um, wasn't uh, widely grown, but it became quite um, obvious that it's, it had some really interesting brewing properties. So it's, um, that's another one that um, we. Uh, and Brent, yeah, right. anyway. what's your Brent? What's your favorite variety to grow? Oh, favorite variety to grow? I, I think, watch it, watch it. Yeah, oh, my my ones are the challenging ones. What can you actually take from from something that's absolutely on the on the rubbish heap to actually turn around? So. 
Brew Walker is my love-hate relationship, um, <laughs> big time. Um, when you actually get the Rewalker Walker plant growing, it is a stunning shape plant. Um, like it's a, it's a, if you could picture a beautiful looking hop, that's what it is. Um, but it's getting it to that point, which look, you lose your hair. Um, so yeah, that, that that's a very interesting one. Um, the nectar on is, is becoming quite fun because we've been able to control the um, the base that we have gotten our plant parent material from, and we've, we've actually we're starting off on the top shelf, which is really cool. Um, so we're really hitting the ground running with some really good quality material. But as as, as Ron said, you know, moot tree. The last 15, 20 years, we're, we've been so busy as growers growing things and as a grower cooperative, we don't, haven't known how to release varieties. So the moot tree was a variety that really didn't get released at all to the world well, that well. And, you know, I go into the, the field and I rub it and I'm instantly I'm hit with bubble gum or something like that in my face. It's like this is it's so unique and it's so resiny that it blocks our belts all the time. The amount of oils and resins and the thing, um, and yeah, no, so it's a neat variety. But, but look, you didn't ask, uh, answer the next question. What's your favorite? My favorite, well, my favorite would probably actually be Waka 2, which is the old New Zealand Hellertown, which is an aroma based hop. Um, and yeah, it grows very nicely, trains well, it's very easy. And I could go for a surf that day, you know, if, if I want to have an easy hop to um, grow and just head off to the beach. <laughs> there so, it is. Yeah. There's that Kiwi attitude I've been waiting to hear. On. You guys, this whole time talking about all your hard work and I'm just thinking, God, you're just making me feel so lazy. I, you know, cause everyone just thinks Kiwis just go surfing all day, but there it is right there. Nice, easy hop to grow. So you can go have a surf. <laughs> yeah, well, exactly. I, I do want to thank everybody for being here and, and being part of the show. Lauren, thank you for helping us uh, put this together and, and being our liaison. Um, Dr. Ron, you know, congratulations on, on 50 yes. years and yeah, it's a really big deal. And I think that at least our, our viewers and our listeners have learned that, um, you know, they, they knew you and they didn't have any, they didn't know you, you know, you've had such a hand in these hops that we like. So it was really cool to, to, to talk to you and hear about that. Um, and, and Brent, boy, do I wish you an easier life in this next harvest. I hope that, uh, you know, the storms subside for a year. I don't know what, just give you a little, just a little break so you can have a more chill, uh, you know, 2021. Of course, we all hope for that, but, uh, it sounds like you, you had a rough season and it's just, you still got a smile on your face. It's good to see, you know. Yeah. And Matt's going to come down and hopefully help us this year anyway. <laughs> yes. There we go. Well, look, and if you need help promoting, like you mentioned, I really only require a place to park a Volkswagen bus and lay my head and I will, I will shoot video. I will take photo. I will spread the word for you guys. Sounds good. Amazing. Sounds good. <laughs> uh, Matt, well, I, I think we, I think we did a good job getting through as, as much as we could here. You know, like I said, this is kind of everybody's favorite hops right now. So uh, good job getting this. Yeah, it was amazing. There. And uh, like I said, this is the, uh, the podcast end all podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Whoever just did awesome hot people on a podcast. I mean, that's right. I Brent even called his shot in his email reply to me. He was like, Oh, sure, we'll be there to make the best podcast ever made in the history of podcasts. And I was like, Great, time to go. <laughs> All right. Well, everyone, thank you so much. Yeah. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Ronald. Thanks so much. Appreciate it. Appreciate you got it. 
Thanks for being here. Um, uh, have fun in New Zealand where things are laid back and easy, and I hope to see you there soon. Thanks to our listeners for tuning in for another episode of the Beer Before Glory podcast. We will be back with more. I believe we're covering even more hops on the next episode. Um, but thanks for tuning in and sticking with us, and we'll see you next time. Take care of yourselves and your beer. Beer.